Hello, and welcome to the Voices of Gentrification podcast. My name is Luke Herman, and today I'll be having a conversation with Tom Carroll, the village manager of Silverton. We'll be discussing uh, poverty in the suburbs and the effects it's had uh, around Hamilton County. Enjoy. So my name is Tom Carroll. Uh, I'm the village manager with the village of Silverton. In 2020, the federal poverty level um, amounts to an income of about $26,000 for a family of four. Um, The population of those living under the federal poverty has increased um, by three, or I think it's decreased by 3% in Cincinnati, sorry, and increased by 74 in the rest of Hamilton County between um, the year 2000 and 2019. Uh, What do you think are the main factors leading to that? yeah, there's several things that that are driving what what scholars are referred to as the suburbanization of poverty. Uh, number one, over the last 20 years or so, there's been this back to the city movement, where uh, places like in Cincinnati, uh, there's the banks and over the Rhine redevelopments that are taking place, where where over the last 20 years, the people who would have lived in a suburb are moving to the central city to their urban core. Uh, and at the same time, there are people who are uh, being displaced uh, who live in the central city and where do they move? They move to the next cheapest place, which is so often an entering suburb like a North College Hill or a Silverton uh, or a Mount Healthy or something like that, Cheviot. Um, so that's one factor, what, what Richard Florida refers to as the great inversion. Uh, second factor is the good chunk of Americans who were kind of in the working class or middle class in the 2008 uh, recession have never fully recovered. So a lot of suburbs have people who were kind of right at the cusp of the poverty line who have fallen beneath it. And they were there forever but now they've fallen below the poverty line. Third factor is uh, immigrants who have a higher than uh, native born American rate of poverty have started to skip going to the central city and have just moved right to the suburbs. And those are the, those are the reasons. Oh, that was, <laughs> that's great. Um, they answered a lot of my questions. Um, um, you kind of answered this, has the affordability of the suburbs and increasing rents in the inner city um, a reason for the increased season pause and relevels is obviously the case. Are there any other policies driving that other than the reinvestment in cities and stuff? Or um, is something like the idea of like more national federal policies led to that happening? Yeah, uh, the, the thing that comes to mind first isn't so much a policy issue as much as it is an economic issue. A lot of the communities that are referred to as inner ring suburbs or first suburbs boomed right after World War II. And the homes were built very quickly and very affordably for the GIs who were coming home from World War II and wanted desperately to live in a single family home. Those homes are now 70 or 80 years old. So there's a a natural aging and devaluation that takes place in the American economy. The, the older the home is, the more likely it is to be occupied by a person below the poverty line. So now that so many of these homes that were mass produced right after World War II are, are 
reaching that point in their life cycle where they're they're just they're not as valuable and and therefore more affordable uh, for people who are at or below the poverty line. So it's not so much a policy issue. This is referred to in how in the housing literature as filtering. The older the home is, the more likely it is that a person uh, below the poverty line lives in it. Now there's exceptions to that, of course. There's lots of historic homes that are grand and, and large, but generally speaking, older homes are occupied by people who are poorer. Right, and do you would you consider that kind of one of the main reasons why newer suburbs like Blue Ash and Mason are doing better than older inner-ring suburbs? It's just like the housing stock they have is newer, bigger, more suited to people's tastes now? Sure. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the people who grew up in places like Deer Park and and um, Redding uh, and achieved a, a, a middle-class lifestyle, those people who grew up there often move out to the Westchesters and the Masons when they are successful and they're able to afford a four hundred thousand um, dollar what what is disparagingly referred to as a McMansion. So so the children of the middle class who grew up in these middle class communities often move further out to newer homes and um, leave behind their family's home that increasingly is occupied by somebody of a more modest means, often people of color who move out from the central city for whom it's a step up, you know, in many cases. So so that's the natural kind of economic filtering process that's taking place. I heard a lot of things about the kind of like idea of deconcentrating poverty. Was that a policy that the federal, or has that just kind of happened? It's it's both. Uh, there, there are policies that cause the concentration of, of people who are below the poverty line. Um, and, and, you know, these are really well articulated in books like The Color of Law, where we talk about federal policies that essentially are redlining uh, prior to the Fair Housing uh, Act, which we have to remember is, is, is only 50 years old. So many of the housing much of the housing stock that we're talking about was built before that and and we have these legacies that are I'm 51 and this is this is this is in my lifetime uh and many of our lifetimes um but there's also just sort of the natural economic trend that occurs as well um as communities age and they're residential in nature uh, which is so often what happens in these inner ring suburbs they were built entirely as residential communities. They have very little commercial tax base. They, uh, as the housing ages, their wealth declines because um, they have all their eggs in the residential basket. And increasingly the, the residential homes aren't, as, aren't keeping up with inflation in terms of its price escalation. Okay. That's very interesting. Um, have you seen the effects of gentrification um, in the suburbs? Uh, have they tried to like redevelop or have they displaced, have any suburbs displaced anyone? Or is there a large part of redevelopment that came um, by trying to increase the revenues they lost due to people living or leaving the city or? When I think about Silverton where I work and where I'm working on the the combined goals of economic revitalization as well as affordable housing and inclusion 
um, these are these are in some ways competing interests and competing goals, right? So we in Silverton have a brand new market rate housing complex called AG 47, which was done by Jeffrey R. Anderson Real Estate and Miller Valentine's, fantastic. Um, so we have 204 new market rate units in Silverton and that has raised the rent, not just of those, those units are at market rate, but overall, rental housing in Silverton becomes more valuable because of the presence of that housing. And at the same time, we're seeing, um, you know, our single family homes are, are experiencing a sharp increase in price as well, more to do with the housing market, but also we have a relatively hot real estate market specifically because of Silverton's success. So it's a combination of factors. We also see that black home ownership in our community has dropped 15% in the last 20 years. A lot of that is related to uh, the effects of the Great Recession, where uh, predatory lending was disproportionately impacting people of color. We have an aging situation where the original black homeowners who moved out here in the 70s are aging out of their home. And so there's this, I don't know if I'd call it gentrification, Luke, as much as I would say mm -hmm. there's these market forces that are going. We are we are being successful, but it's not that we're forcing people out of their homes or gentrification in, in the over the Rhine sense or what happens in many other neighbor, urban neighborhoods around the country, but there's definitely a fact. So you've um, proposed like two strategies to help uh, residents stay in their homes, um, an eviction prevention program and a housing stabilization program. Um, do you think those programs could help um, promote that equitable development that your guys are reached or looking for? For sure, um, I, I certainly hope so. That's that's the intent of those programs. So the eviction prevention program that we're looking at is sort of on hold as a result of the pandemic and the influx of uh, federal funds to Hamilton County. So there is enough federal money through the CARES Act and American Rescue Plan that nobody in Hamilton County should be evicted as a result of inability to pay as a result of the pandemic. And so our short-term strategy has pivoted to trying to help connect our residents to that funding resource. So our local eviction prevention grant will be put in place probably once all of that money is, is uh, put through the system to pay landlords who desperately need to be paid for the rent. Um, the homeowner helper program is a separate program for fixed income or low income homeowners who own their home and live in their home. And we do a code enforcement action against them saying you need to paint your house, you need to put on a new roof, whatever the exterior problem with their home might be. And they demonstrate to us that they don't have the means to do it. What we will do is essentially Silverton will hire somebody to do that work for them, bring them into compliance, preserve the house and pay the contractor so that they're order that we have written against them is complied with and then we'll place a lien on their property uh, which will be paid off whenever the property is transferred so it's basically like a zero percent loan to somebody who has a property maintenance violation that they can't afford to pay and it will be securitized with 
the the value of the home, which will eventually should eventually come back to to become a revolving loan fund, right? To help the next, yeah. And we think this idea could could become a model for other other communities like Silverton that have、um, aging populations with modest modest incomes and great houses that that need work. So.、Um, The, the the sticky wicket is always capitalizing it, but we we put a hundred thousand dollars into it this year, and we're going to experiment with that and see what we can do. That probably could help seven or eight homes this year. More and more、um, suburbs are hitting, I guess, are landlocked and are kind of like hitting their like development potential. Do you think increasing the density can help the affordability of the community, or does that increase、uh, prices? I have become a believer that suburbs like Silverton need to significantly increase our density,、uh, and that isn't to say、uh, if you look at a map of Silverton, there most of Silverton is and should continue to be single-family homes.、Um, I'm looking at the zoning map off to my left, and and, and a huge swath of it is is simply residential neighborhoods, but. Along our commercial corridors, where we have bus service, where we have some functionally obsolete、uh, commercial buildings that were built in the 20s or 30s,、um, we that are that are really they're really functionally obsolete and not really performing very well. Those those need to be redeveloped in a much more dense fashion with a combination of workforce, affordable, and market rate housing. To increase density, that has a lot to do with both our our need to grow our tax base. It has a, a a lot to do with our need to put people closer to where they work,、uh, and to create economic opportunity for for people、um, who are disadvantaged, and to keep our community racially diverse and inclusive. So that's that's really there's environmental、uh, and just social justice. Reasons why I think that's necessary. It's also good planning. It's just good planning. Yeah. Good planning.、Um, um, I really think the Silver.、Uh, I've never really encountered、uh, such a progressive、uh, village like the city of Silverton for sure.、Um, I think、um, when it comes to most suburbs, at least in Cincinnati, they're very anti-affordable housing. Very anti. Well, they don't have, really have that many inclusion policies in general,、uh, for the most part. Do you think that's improving in Cincinnati, or a long way, long way to go? I think there's, I think there's, there's start of a change、uh, to recognize that you you can't simultaneously put a Black Lives Matter sign in your front yard and oppose an affordable housing project. In your community, that <laughs> you, you 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 have to you have to choose one or the other. And so, if you believe in social justice, if you believe in inclusion, that you have to recognize that you need to give opportunity to people who aren't here today, but need that opportunity.、Um, so, I would say my my thinking on this has shifted dramatically since the murder of George Floyd,、uh, and and. Subsequent research that、uh, I personally have done on on, on racial in- inequality and how those systems still affect us today.、Um, 
So I think there is a change in the conversation. I think, Luke, what's most important in, in changing the conversation is the realization that there are people below the poverty line already in these communities like Silverton that need housing. Used to be that if you opposed affordable housing at the local level, you, you were probably trying to keep people out of your community who are below the poverty line, but they're here now and they need affordable housing. And so that is potentially the change uh, that will help jurisdictions become accepting and embracing of affordable and workforce housing. People are here already who need this housing. We're just helping improve their situation. Love that. Um, thanks so much. Um, do you have any final comments regarding um, poverty in the suburbs or anything else um, that sticks out to you in regards to this topic? We still have a lot of work to do at the local government level. Um, Hamilton County has 48 different jurisdictions, all of which set their own, you know, land use regulations and housing policies. And so many of the communities act in their own self-interest, which is understandable. That's what that's what they should do. But but if if every community uh, sets land use policy that basically says affordable housing has to go someplace else, not here, then we have no place in our county for affordable housing to go. Right. And so we need to shift the mindset, I believe, Tom Carroll's personal belief that um, each community has to provide its fair share of affordable housing to, to meet this huge gap that our county has. Uh, so for Silverton, um, you know, we have a population of about 5,000 uh, under the fair under uh, the, the uh, housing our future plan. Every community should have one affordable housing unit planned for every 20 residents. That means Silverton needs 250 affordable units to be added to the inventory. We have zero today on the plan uh, in the planning hopper. So we got a long gap to, to fill for one community that's receptive to it. And there's many other communities that I don't think will be receptive to it. So we have a long way to go. Wow. Um. Well, it's very awesome that communities like Silverton are recognizing that challenge and trying to fill the gap. Um, so are there other communities that are trying to do that? Um, um, no, I was just saying that kudos to you guys for realizing you have a gap to fill um, and recognizing that it's a super important step um, to solving Crane solutions. But are there any other communities um, partnering with the city of Silverton to combat this or join or like um, very hands on in that um, plan you were talking about, the affordable housing plan? I mean, I think um, I'm not I'm not aware enough about who's who's really being a leader in this area since I'm pretty much focused primarily on Silverton. I'm sure there are. Um, but I do think I do think the conversation countywide needs to shift into the into the discussion, which is county leadership, our board of county commissioners, who I think are doing an excellent job leading this, need to be putting it to the local governments like Silverton, which is what are you doing to satisfy your fair share of affordable housing units in your community? 
And in too many cases, the answer is going to be nothing or not enough. And, and then asking them, so what are you going to do about that? Because we really do uh, need to, we really need to provide stability for our families. Um, otherwise, we're going to have continued homelessness and growing homelessness. We're going to have continued evictions, which start the cycle of poverty um, and, and devastate families and kids um, and, and have a disproportionate effect on women of color and families of color. And, and, and so w w we have to stop doing certain things that are, are perpetuating the system that we, we don't find to be tolerable. Thanks for listening, and if you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Gentrification, uh, please subscribe and let a friend know. Thanks.